0: Blog Talk Radio <laughs>
1: Welcome to another edition of the our big show. This is episode three of the season of the 2018 year and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights will go on the road to face a power five conference opponent in the Kansas Jayhawks and they'll be out on September 15th and they are coming off a 52 to three loss of Ohio state in one where all the fans, I believe the whole Scarlet nation probably, uh, uh, had a sigh of relief this week uh, when um, it was known that Art Sikowski, the freshman quarterback uh, who was injured on an ill-advised uh, play call, potentially, I will talk about that, of course. Uh, and he is practicing and looks like ready to go for this weekend. So uh, as terrible as the loss was um, and as terrible as the injury looked, uh, it could have been much worse um, at, we probably are all a little bit disappointed that in terms of the score, there wasn't much more improvement in the last two uh, games, which were 52-0, 56-0, but I guess you can say at least they scored. Uh, but going into this game, this is a big must-win game for Chris Ash and the Scarlet Knights in program uh, year three of, of the program under him. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Now, of course, um, joining me as a co-host is uh, Rutgers Moe. Uh, Mo, first, uh, let's ask, what were they thinking with that play call at the end of the half?
0: I don't think they were thinking. I think <laughs> you're exactly right. It's been written about. It's been talked about. Um, we have a really tough kid. We're lucky. And we're lucky he wasn't hurt significantly. I guess we're going to find out a lot more on Saturday. But um, I just don't think it was a well- – neither McNulty – nor ash really thought it through and perhaps it'll it'll elevate their game you know uh just making a quick comparison you ever play uh you ever play somebody who's better than you in another game like let's say chess or uh, if you're playing at cards sometimes you can kind of learn and and the hope is that they're in the learning curve still that's it
1: absolutely i think um probably he surprised coach as even surprised some by by being pretty honest you know saying i should have called a timeout or um you know it's it just really didn't end up the way they drew it up and any time a play doesn't uh, end up with the result you want it you think about it again but uh you know they dodged the bullet there and and i think the point to make here many you know did make that point is uh you know he does he even if it doesn't get hurt there you know they were trying to play to win and to score and and something like that could have happened in the next quarter uh, It is what it is, and I think uh you know probably a game and a result you know we had our predictions and and you know we were hoping for fourteen seventeen points uh but you know that didn't happen and I think uh both the Texas State game and this game are our total opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of of the competition so for all intents and purposes, the season starts here this week. So, um, looking forward to this show, uh, we're going to have, uh, uh, two guests on, uh, Andy Mitt of the rock rocktalk rock talk, talk, uh, podcast, uh, get us uh, up to speed with Kansas and what to expect. And then later on in the show, uh, Brian dome, who many people know as a national analyst for uh, 247 sports. And, and we'll talk a lot of recruiting. Uh, he's also your guy for recruiting and, uh, Uh, have a nice uh, conversation with, with him. But uh, before we head into the Kansas talk, um, you know, Mo, if you have any observations, um, you know, about not only the game coming up, but what this game means in terms of, of Rutgers and, and heading, picking up some momentum, heading into this part of the schedule where we've talked about Kansas this week, Buffalo, the following, and then some of the more winnable games of the big 10 with uh, Illinois or Indiana, uh, all coming together, Maryland, at the same time
0: that that 's a really good point, and I think the, the when you say some of the more winnable games it 's predicated really on somewhat on what we do saturday if if we actually come out of the game and uh, don 't just if we if we squeak by that 's one thing. if we win in convincing fashion it 's another it raises issues relative to Maryland, relative to Indiana in particular, perhaps even into Illinois, whether or not we have the the ability to pull off those victories. And it'll affect us um, in terms of our psyche, in terms of the individual players and the coaches. On the other hand, um, if this was an L, I have to believe that there's a tipping point for every – There's a tipping point for every organization, for every uh, uh, coach, whatever, and uh, much as we don't want to talk about that, and we do support, I know I I support Chris Ash, and I'm thrilled that McNulty is back. This is not really aimed at McNulty, but at some point, we've got to get beyond the constant it's three years from now, and four years from now, and it's seven years from now, and When you look at other programs out there, like the Boise States, as an example, they've produced the winning program virtually from nothing, and they're now a top 20. And and Peterson's not there anymore. So I guess my observation is I think that it's here and it's now. And I think that I hope Chris Ash is able to get that through to his players, and I hope that we're able to bring it to the field. But that's that's the biggest thing. I, I really don't have second, third, or fourth thoughts. That is that is the only thought that I really have. It's the winnable game, and we have to deliver. And anything short of that, I think, is going to be a major disappointment for fans. I know it will be for me.
1: Now, of course, what makes this an interesting game is Rutgers is not the only team that circled this game as a winnable game on their schedule. So have the Kansas Jayhawks, and uh, a team that's, Gone through some rough years Over the last two, three years uh, 0-12 in 2015 2-10 in 2016 And 1-11 last year uh, And then starting off the season Losing to Nickel State uh, You know, FCX uh, programs no, I think programs.
0: They, won they won it in overtime, didn't they?
1: No, they lost that game
0: Is Well, I guess year? we'll
1: check on that I'm pretty sure they did but uh, Maybe I'm wrong but, Oh, maybe you're right, uh, you're
0: right uh, Okay, I'm sorry, you're right <laughs> You're
1: right. So <laughs> as as down as things were, then they go out, you know, Central Michigan um, and take a, a, a game on the road, which they hadn't done in 46 straight contests, a, a road game. So um, again, as they say, I, you know, as down as things are for them and were for them past the, after that first week, you know, now they have some momentum. They, they, they have a home game uh, against a Power Five conference. Um, interesting, I just learned that, uh, this is the first P5 conference uh, opponent that they've hosted in quite some time, I think since 2010, 2011. So um, we'll, we'll learn a little bit more of that from, from Andy as he comes on to join us. But uh, uh, from their perspective, this is definitely a game that they want to uh, get themselves back on the positive spin. So without further ado, I want to welcome Andy Mitt again from RockChalk.com and the RockChalk Talk podcast. Welcome, Andy.
2: Hey, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's Andy Mitz, but uh, also it's, it's rockchalktalk.com and then the Rock Chalk Podcast, which – but, yeah, no, I mean, you know, like you guys were saying, um, this has been a really big game that's been circled It's kind of the only – like one of basically two games that we expected to be able to win. Um, coming into the season, I think everyone thought that Nickel State was probably our best our best bet for a win, and we ended up losing that one Um, And then this game was probably our second best bet only because it was at home. um, And there was at least some question about whether central Michigan was going to be, you know, as good as they were last year when they absolutely pasted us at home. So, um, but yeah, uh, really looking forward to this game. um, And hopefully it's, it's at least an entertaining game for, for whichever team is unfortunate enough to come out with a loss.
1: Well, I apologize for mixing up the rock chalk, talk, chalk. (laughs) Rock, things, <laughs> no worries. Rock, rock. We,
2: we, we, so we don't necessarily make it easy on you guys. So, well,
1: let me ask some, you, what is, is some it, kind I, of a we, speech
2: test? Sorry, what was that? He, well, I thought I thought it was
0: some kind of like um, to test whether or not you have a speech impediment. If you can say it three times, say that
2: word three times quickly.
0: Your...
2: <laughs> rock, chalk, talk. Right? Yeah. No. Uh, so, so rock, chalk. Um, this actually comes up a lot more often than you would think. Is uh, it, it's actually a chant that was started by one of the old professors. They were trying to come up with something that, that the students could chant. And yeah. going through, by train, the, that area back when this was created, there, there's a lot of limestone um, in the area. And so it was like chalk rock. And so they flipped that around, and so rock chalk is what they, would, is, is what they say all the time. Um, we, when we started our site, um, actually the guy who started the site before we even came on, um, you know, decided to go ahead and play off of that. I mean, that's like the most recognizable Kansas Jayhawks thing is rock shock. and so it was. It was just kind of natural to kind of bring that on. So.
1: Yeah, nothing like watching a uh, you know February uh, game in Kansas and they got that chant going. It's uh, it's it's pretty much one of oh, yeah. the most you know awesome experiences in in college sports when, when that gets going.
2: Yeah, being in, being in Allen Fieldhouse, uh, somehow we always come back to talking about basketball. I, I'm, I'm not sure why, but um, you know that actually I've heard many a national analyst say that that's like the one or one of the top five college you know sports experiences you have to have is going in Allen Fieldhouse and hearing that 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 chant. whether you're there as a visiting team or kind of going as a neutral to just go listen uh, you know, and, and kind of take in that atmosphere. It's one of the kind of one, one of the most eerie and yet also kind of coolest things that you can have actually hear coming from a fan-based old college team. so: Well I,
1: Andy, I apologize. If you, don't mind,
2: uh,
0: just, you just stirred something in my, in, my, uh, in my memory. I used to be a consultant, and I had a, a thoracic surgeon in Palm Springs. I uh, used to uh-huh. work with him for about two years. His name was Woodson. He played basketball. He was on the same team, I guess a year behind Dean Smith. I remember him telling me about uh, Kansas, and I think he showed me a picture as I remember it. He was not a starter, but his last name was Woodson. So this would have been in the 50s. Um, you know, it was before my time, but uh, and probably before all of our times. But still, it's history. And I was always kind of uh, proud of the fact that, I mean, he he was there with Dean Smith. That was pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah I do apologize. Yeah, I think, uh... Go ahead. I'll say – I apologize for, for – you probably say you don't want to end up talking basketball, but it, it always happens. But uh, at least, you know, you, we can probably uh, agree on our side. Uh, at least you have basketball to talk about or some other sports.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's actually just kind of a running joke over on Rock Talk Talk that we can never seem to talk about the football team without mentioning basketball in some way. So, um, you know, we've, we've, we've got actually quite a few people over there, more than I would have expected, that are KU football fans first and kind of only follow the basketball team because it's another KU sport. Um, they, they like to give us a hard time that we can't ever find a way to not talk about basketball. So
1: so I guess what we'll do is, uh, you know, educate us a little bit and teach us a little bit about what to know and look out for with the Jayhawks coming on this weekend. Uh, obviously a 31-7 to 7 victory last week. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, first game in, in quite some years on, on the road, victory. Um, so what is the feeling of the team heading into this game? Obviously, uh, they're looking to keep the momentum going.
2: Yeah, so that game was really keyed by the defensive performance, uh, which I think was a, a a combination of Kansas playmakers just really having a good game, uh, but also just the fact that Central Michigan, their offense was com- a completely new offense from, from the previous year. It it seemed pretty obvious that they didn't really get much going. They had a lot of struggles the previous week against Kentucky as well, um, except for when their defense was giving them really short field. Uh, So it's not necessarily really a surprise. that The Kansas defense was kind of the the key to that. Um, But what was really nice to see was just how many different players were actually getting in on that, Um, you know, Joe Deneen Jr. is obviously the the name that anybody who pays any attention nationally might actually know uh, from, from the Kansas Jayhawks last year, he was routinely rated as one of the top defenders week in week out by pro football focus. They, they do the, the individual rankings and ratings of every single player um, and, and put together like a national team of the week. I believe he showed up on like three or four of those last year. He, he headlined the national team for this, for this week in, in week two, um, you know, so he's kind of continuing to get his name out there. Um, so, some other guys that are on the defense that, that you might want to pay attention to would be Daniel wise. Um, he was, he's been one of the better defenders in the last few years. Um, he's on the defensive line there. Uh, Mike Lee is a returning, a returning uh, junior uh, back in the secondary. He had a little bit of a struggle through a portion of last season, but he is definitely one of the biggest hitters that we have. And then, the four-star recruit in Coryon Harris, uh, you know, he, he has played somewhat sparingly at this point just because, you know, for whatever reason, Kansas coaches in all sports tend to like to play the upperclassmen a lot more. And so the, the, the brand new guys have to really earn their time on the field. And he just hasn't had that opportunity yet. Um, but, you know, he's, he's had some really big plays uh, and really is kind of expected to be what, what helps turn our secondary around this year, if it happens. Um, some other guys that started to make some big plays, there were Keith Moniker Jr., another linebacker. Uh, him and him and Joe Dineen have kind of really gotten after it, really stopping the run. Uh, Joe Dineen, more than anyone, seems to be everywhere. The only plays that he doesn't get into are, are ones that the corners are, you know, covering on on deep passing plays and things like that. Otherwise, Joe Dineen is somewhere in that in that uh, play there. But Keith Moniker is, is – kind of coming along in the same vein where he's, he's in the backfield or he's in on a lot of passing plays. So I, I'm expecting those, those guys to get their names called out quite a bit. Um, as, as for the offensive side, the main addition that they had was uh, Anthony Puka Williams being eligible to play. Uh, there was some question as to why he wasn't available for the first week. It was clarified in the, in the post-game press conference that it was some sort of eligibility issue. It's still not clear whether it was like academic eligibility where he just didn't have the right grades, or if his transcripts, there were some questions about that. There's, there's really not a lot of information about that, but it seems, at least for now, that there's not any concern going forward that he's not going to be ineligible the rest of the year, even though Beatty didn't actually come out and say that explicitly. So um, the, the expectation is, you know, and, and he, he went off completely in this game. Uh, two long touchdowns, um, you know, was really the most effective runner for, for the Kansas Jayhawks. Um, that's really where they've done most of their damage this year is in the running game. They have a trio of, of really good running backs in Puka Williams, Don Williams, and Khalil Herbert. Khalil Herbert was the guy that was really explosive for us last year. He had 291 yards against West Virginia last year. Um, we were expecting big things from him. Um, but Kansas, you know, has been dealing with some injuries on the offense as well. The offensive line, has had all kinds of turnover due to injuries, season-ending, career-ending injuries in the last year and a half or so. Um, The offensive line coming into the year this year is actually completely brand new. Uh, I think there's only one player returning that that actually played any kind of significant time last year. Um, We weren't able to actually have a spring game this year because of injuries to the offensive linemen. We didn't have enough healthy linemen to field two teams at the time, so they had to do kind of like a a skill showcase. Um, So that's kind of where the big question is on offense is, is is the offensive line healthy enough? And can they actually protect long enough for the quarterbacks and for the running backs to get the lanes that they need to do what they need to do? Um, Kansas actually has a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. Um, Steven Sims Jr. Was expected to be the best offensive player for this team coming into the year. Um, He probably still is one of the most athletic with the only other, with the only person who probably comes close being Kuka Williams. Um, The issue has been he's been blanketed pretty much the entire time that he's been playing. Um, He still has a few good catches, but they haven't really got an opportunity to get him going. And the quarterbacks really haven't had enough time to get to him down the field where he can use his speed to really, you know, burn through guys and, and open up lanes there. So, um, there's, there's definitely a lot to kind of be concerned about, but if, if, if you're thinking about what Rutgers needs to focus on, it would be the Kansas running game, because that's where everything gets started for them, and then really finding a way to try to take Joe Deneen and Keith Lonaker out of the equation on defense to try to run away from them or you know, find some way to get them blocked really well.
0: When you say take him out of the equation, does that include
2: paying them off? Oh, uh, I don't think that would work, but, I mean, you guys are more than welcome to try. I mean, I just thought of that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, going, um, listening to, uh, talking through the defense, it sounds like this is going to be a gritty run defense type of game. Um, Rutgers going back to the pro style, although they'll throw the ball a lot more than they did uh, in the matchup two years ago. Um, Tell us, where where does Daniel – Line up um, on which side uh, because our um, been some issues on on the offensive line two on the tackle so I'm curious on which end he typically uh, puts his uh, hand on the ground
2: so it's it's kind of been all over the place Um, if if there is a tendency I think he typically tends to line up more on the left side of the defensive line so it'd be the right the right tackle Um, but one of the things that they've done this year and actually they kind of started it last year is to try to move guys around to a kind of, to try to find holes, to take advantage of matchups. Um, Daniel Wise, is really more of a, of a, like a left interior lineman. Um, so they've done some four, three looks, they've done some three, four looks. He tends to be trying to get into the middle of the line and really clog things up. A lot of times he even, you know, he, he's able to fight through and put pressure on the quarterback um, They've been working a lot, though, on his, on his run defense um, and trying to put him into positions to really help out with that. That's been um, kind of one of the big issues that we've had for a long time, and so they've been trying to get their most, uh, their most athletic guys into those t- sort of roles. So I don't know that you can really pin him down to one side of the line. Um, if, they, if they find a hole that they can plug him into and think that he can exploit that matchup there, then they are gonna, they're not afraid to move him around.
1: So you mentioned um, besides one of the more interesting names uh, we hear in Puka Williams, it uh, sounds like a dynamic right. player that, that Rutgers fans uh, uh, need to to know about um, 14 carries. I think he had 160, or 180 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, give us a little bit more about him. Cause I watched uh, some of the clips. They, they seem to like to swing the ball around um, and get him out in space. Obviously he seems like an all purpose back and four star recruit Um And, you know, I guess talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how he wound up. He's a freshman at at Kansas. Um, uh, It seems like a smaller guy, but, uh, you know, how they plan to use him and and also uh, a little bit of talk of, um, you know, getting a four-star recruit into a program that could use it.
2: Yeah, so actually both of the four-star recruits came by way of uh, Tony Hall, who is the running back's coach. He has some really good connections down in Louisiana. He, he was a, head, a, a high school coach down there and has a lot of connections in the area. Um, most of the big recruiting victories that KU has had in the last couple of years have come from him getting guys out of Louisiana. So, Corian Harris came from there as well. Um, Puka Williams was also down there. And so, really, it's kind of building on that. The other thing that's kind of come out recently is that there has been some concerns uh, specifically in Kuka's case, about his academic eligibility, um, said so that some of the bigger teams kind of shied away from him a little bit, like didn't pursue him quite as hard because there was some question about whether he was going to be eligible. Um, you know, Kansas obviously needing needing big wins on the recruiting trail didn't really shy away from it and got him to commit pretty early. And and with him being that adamant, he was going to stick with it. It kind of opened up the way for him to come. Um, up here, so that's that's kind of how how they got him on the roster was just because you know there was some questions, so uh, maybe other teams didn't really pursue him quite as hard. Um, but having that that kind of personal connection and that Louisiana connection there made it a little bit easier to get him there. It, it didn't really hurt that a lot of um, other players from that area were were really already looking at Kansas and already saying good things about Kansas. So, um, in terms of how he plays, he's definitely more of a speed guy. Um, you know, they've actually had quite a few instances where, you know, they needed a couple yards just kind of pounded into the line. They brought Dom Williams in for those. Um, actually Kazili Flomo was a guy that was expected to, to, you know, fill that role to be like the heavy bruiser type of back. He got injured in the preseason, so they weren't able to use him. Dom Williams is kind of the best guy we have to fill that role at this point. So you won't see Puka on really big short yardage, you know, uh, downs or anything like that. But yeah, they, they do like to get him out into space. I saw quite a few plays where they would throw the ball to him out in the flat, um, which those were going down as runs because they were, you know, a backwards pass, but, but really that, that's how they get him involved in the passing game as well as get him out in space, out on the edge and let him, you know, work through the, the, the blocks, the wide receiver give him and find some space and then, and then take it as far as he can. So um but he's also been really good with that, with that first and second cut, making guys miss, finding holes. Like he just has some really good vision um, in terms of coming out of the backfield. So it's definitely going to be a, a difficult task to completely bottle him up. Really, it's just going to come down to um, you know where they, where, where they were successful in stopping him were the few plays where they were able to just completely push the Kansas offensive line around and not allow him to find holes to get through. So that's really going to be the key is just dominating on the, on the offensive line front. So um, unfortunately I'm not sure how likely that is. I haven't watched too much of Rutgers to really see how well they can get in there. Um, It's just going to come down to how well Kansas, I think gels on the offensive line. They've made some headway, but there's still a lot of concern about that for Kansas.
0: Andy, if you don't mind, um, I haven't seen the data. How tall is uh, Puka? How much does he weigh And Roughly, what kind of speed are we looking at out of 40?
2: Um, that's actually a good question. I have to look that up really quick because I don't, I don't typically track a lot of those stats. It looks like he's 5'10", uh, 170 pounds. I don't see what his 40 time is. But, I, I mean, I, I have to imagine it is, it is pretty quick. He was talked about in, in fall camp as one of the faster guys on the team, um, here, let me pull it up right now. So it looks that's, like he he runs a four two seven in the forty yard dash. So um, that, that's pretty quick. <laughs>
1: that's
2: yeah. Pretty
1: good. Yeah. Well, and and you know when when you're listed at five ten one seventy, you know you're not, and and if you're going to be probably five nine one sixty, you're going to be really fast.
2: Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I mean, yeah. He definitely has like that. That's his game is the speed, and it looks like he's got at least from, from the limited view that we've had so far. You know, he has the vision at least to find enough holes to get through to be able to utilize that. So, actually, the, the big, the big uh, recruiting video that, that a lot of people like to talk about, he actually made a name for himself nationally because his, his highlight video from high school included a run where he ran off to the right, had a defender coming in, he jumped up like he was going to try to hurdle him, and instead of actually hurling over him, he just kicked him in the, in the collarbone to knock the guy down and then kept running. So, um, you know, he, he definitely is a very athletic guy, can do some unexpected things at times, and he's really, really quick. So that's, that's kind of where most of his, his tools come from and how I'm expecting them to be able to keep utilizing him throughout the year.
1: So this is, as I mentioned, uh, of course, the two teams met 2015. It was a Rutgers 27-14 to 14, uh, victory. They're returning to trip. Uh, and as I mentioned, interesting fact that this is the the first Power Five uh, conference team non conference game that Kansas is hosting since 2010. Um, so the question I have for you is, uh, you know, one, you know, are people, you know, are you going to get a decent sized crowd for this game? And then, um, two. Um, you know, uh, Mo over here likes to put our our uh, guests uh, on, you know, on the spot and see if you give us a uh, prediction for this game.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I have no problem doing that prediction. But uh, in in terms of the uh, the attendance for the game, I mean, I'm expecting that to actually be pretty good. One, because of the win last week against Central Michigan, there was a lot of concern that, you know, that if they lost those first two games that most people would show up. Um I think they tried to kind of counteract that by the fact that that Todd reasoning, the last successful quarterback that KU has, um, you know, led, led them to the orange bowl in 2008 um, that, that orange bowl victory against Virginia tech. Um, You know, he's actually being enshrined in the, in the ring of honor there. So um, there's going to be a big ceremony for that and everything. Um, I'm expecting a lot of people to come out just for that. Honestly, like there, there was, there was talk about scheduling that at that point to try to combat, you know, the negative effects of potentially losing those first two games. So the fact that they won that one on the road, broke that huge losing streak, gets a lot of good positive vibes around the program. I'm expecting there to be a decent sized crowd there. Um, You know, I'm not, I'm not by any means expecting a sellout just because with how bad this program's been, you know, I don't think it's realistic to think they're going to even come close, even with Todd Riesing there. But, you know, I I would expect them to be at least half full to have a good a good showing in the student section. Um, you know, they they could get rowdy a little bit if if the game is going their way, but you know, Kansas fans have been burned way too many times being optimistic about this team. So if if it gets ugly for them pretty early, you know, don't expect the crowd to be there pushing them to get back in the game. As for the prediction, you know, I. It's really hard to predict this game, especially given what happened last week. I still think that Rutgers is probably the better team. Um, they've had better results recently. Uh, what, what it's really going to come down to, though, I think, is the, the defensive effort for Rutgers. If they're able to, to stop Puka Williams and keep Kansas from really getting going, I don't know how long the Kansas defense is going to be able to hold up. Uh, I actually got done speaking with some other Rutgers guys for our own podcast. Um, and, you know, he, he was, his, his concern was that most of Rutgers' offensive weapons seem to be the passing to the tight ends and then running backs trying to find their own holes for Rutgers. So, if, if that's really the case, that they really are, have those kind of issues, um, Kansas might, might be able to have another really good defensive showing. Um, but honestly, I think the most likely outcome is that we have a, another game similar to what that opening game was for Kansas, uh, a fairly low scoring game. Um, at least in the beginning, that is a really big defensive battle and finally someone is able to capitalize on a stick and, and end up winning the game. I do I do want to pick Kansas just because they're at home and, and I would like to see them win another game. But honestly, I'm thinking that, that Rutgers is probably going to take this game something like
1: 21-17. Well, we thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Mo, do you have any yeah, no uh, final problem. thoughts for Andy before he goes? It,
0: it has the, I, I want to thank you for... Um your prediction and from your mouth to God's ears <laughs> I hope that's right <laughs> but other than that thanks a lot
2: it was really nice talking to you yeah yeah thanks um, so any, anybody that wants any more information you know obviously you can, you can come and check out our, our pregame coverage on Rock Chalk Talk it's, it's www.rockchalktalk.com um, our, our Twitter for the site is at Rock Talk. Um, for the podcast itself we, we do a separate podcast that, that I'm the host of as well um the, the Twitter for that is at Rock Chalk Pod. So um, we we are always, you know, trying to reach out and get more people coming and paying attention. If you guys want any more information about that, feel free to give us a follow or come and come and take a look at our feed for the next few days. So
1: Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on the show.
2: Yeah, thanks. Nice talking to
1: yeah, definitely check out their site over the next couple of days. I know they put a lot of the content uh, and learn a little bit more about Kansas uh, and his matchup. So um, now we'll get ready to jump in and get a little bit more on, on knowledge on the Rutgers side of things. We're going to welcome uh, Brian Dona, National Analyst of the 247 Sports. Uh, he's on the Rutgers site. And we'll be able to get some updates. And I want to be able to talk a little bit about if anyone has any questions uh, that's on and paying attention, you want to tweet at me at RUFanJerry, uh, and we'll try to get some questions as well. But uh, without further ado, let's uh, welcome uh, Brian to the show.
3: Hey, Brian. Hey, hey, guys. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, thanks for uh, coming on again. Um, uh, it's You know, we, we touched on this earlier at the beginning of the show, Mo and I, about uh, how Important a game this is, uh, you know. Just obviously year three for for Chris Ash. Uh, this is um, you know the kind of games you expect that he has to coach his guys up to win. It's obviously a road game. It's against a power five team. I don't care what the record is. Is not an easy game. Um, but this week, next week are um, our, our must win games in terms of picking up momentum uh, heading into the early part of the Big Ten schedule.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I'm not a big must-win guy when we're talking about games in September, but that's not to minimize the importance of it. I mean, look, you go to lose to Kansas and you win five of the next six, people are going to forget you lost to Kansas for the most part. You beat Kansas and you go lose four of the next six, people are going to forget you beat Kansas. But you bring up a good point. It's a power five school. You're going on the road. Um, you know, for the longest time, you know, if Rutgers wasn't good, you can at least say, well, they're not Kansas. Um, So from that standpoint, yeah, everybody will pay attention to this game if Rutgers loses. If Rutgers wins, Rutgers fans will pay attention to it. If Rutgers loses, then a lot of the nation will pay attention to it. And then you're getting into the recruiting talk and, you know, then you're playing Buffalo, which has a good quarterback and a really good receiver. And it just you just need a good showing. You need to win, and, and kind of really build a little momentum. You know, in the next couple of weeks, just based on what your schedule is.
1: I think you bring up a great point there. That it's so much, and this—I sure it's not a Rutgers thing. It's you know any program that's trying to build itself back up. But it's it's perception, and and um, to your point, uh, they drop a game like this, and you know the jokes and the tweets uh, are just confounded and and magnified. You know, they win to your point. Uh, People that are fans will get excited. Um, But what it is interesting is, uh, you know, especially with Rutgers is, uh, you know, you always have that that quiet fan that, that, you know, keeps an eye out there. And as things start to build up with momentum, you know, the next thing you know, you you have a packed house, uh, you know, when they're playing Northwest at the end of October. But, uh, these kind of games, you lose, and you know, then you're looking at twenty five thousand when they face Indiana. So, it's it's a lot of, uh, you know, one or the other. Unfortunately, with with uh, with uh, this type of uh, fan base. Yeah,
3: and and I think when you're looking at it, it, it's especially the fan base. And look, I get it. I mean, the fan base had to live through a lot of lean times before Greg Schiano came and then it looked like things are going well. And then we know what Kyle Flood did to the program, but you know, so, so the, the, the psyche of the Rutgers fan is fragile to begin with. Then you're thrown into a division in the big 10 where every year you get to go play Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state. Uh, we know what kind of challenge that is, but it, it goes back to what you said earlier. Look, I, I, spent a long time in newspapers, and, and my first job out of college was at the Trentonian down in Trenton, where I remember Doug Graber was trying to unify the state with Rutgers. Rutgers couldn't recruit South Jersey really well. And I remember just, you know, I'd be going to games or, or talking to people or whatever, just as part of my job. And people may not have been Rutgers fans, but no matter who you spoke to in the state, whether you were in Cape May County or whether you were in Essex County, They knew what was going on with Rutgers football. Whether they were close to turning the corner, whether they weren't any good, whether they were tying 7-7 up at Boston College where, you know, um, the refs ruled that I think it was Bob Sneed and stepped out of bounds when he really didn't. They knew what was going on throughout the whole process. Um, and, And I think that's going to be the case this weekend where if they beat Kansas, the quiet people will be like, okay, they beat them, and you lose to Kansas, and the quiet people will be like, geez, did you see they lost to Kansas?
0: I just wanted to make a comment on that. Um, you indicate this is Mo. You indicated that it, you know, you're not into must wins. I think, and I'm just putting myself in the in in the category of I'm a fan. I'm a long-time fan. I think what it does is it takes all the air out of the balloon. It takes all of the. The, the possibilities out. If we lose to Kansas, what's the possibility that we're going to win five of the next six games? You're, you're looking at what? You're looking at knocking off one of the, 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 the four blocks of granite, right? I mean, we've already lost to Ohio State. When do we start hitting? Um, you got Wisconsin. You've got Michigan State. I hope you get my point. At least right now, if, if, we, if we win, there's the possibility that we get into a bowl. If we lose, it's, it's like Prometheus trying to go up the mountain. We'll never get there. That's just my opinion, but that's the way it's going to feel.
3: Yeah, I get that. I, I kind of don't get caught up in all that stuff. Um, I, I've been doing this stuff a long time, and crazy things happen. I mean, you know, you're, you're going to get into the hypotheticals. You lose. Okay, how do you play? Does the offense find itself? Is it some freak play that you lose by? What, what if? you know all of a sudden everybody's talking about all these other games that you have you know and how you're going to how you're going to beat Indiana well what if Indiana's ravaged by injuries or Illinois is ravaged by injuries it's just so much that goes on and and if Rutgers is such a fragile team that a loss to Kansas ruins the season well then they're not going to do anything anyway because they're going to hit adversity somewhere along the way now i get the fact you'll sit there and say what the heck how did you lose you know, to Kansas, but I mean, you go back over the years. This is a program that beat Michigan State one week, and the next week lost to New Hampshire at home. It just happens in college sports um,
0: with because Santos. you're dealing
3: with kids. And so, yeah, I, I get it. If you lose to Kansas, it's going to be like, well, how the heck do you lose to Kansas? And and I get that, but I don't see how. Um, first of all, if you win, it doesn't build a ton of momentum because they haven't had enough success to understand how to deal with success. So you're always going to be looking at that. It's just, you know, everybody wants things to happen now. I've said for the longest time, this is a four- and five-year rebuild. It is what it is. You're going to have ups and downs during that rebuild. You have a freshman quarterback who's going on the road a week after getting knocked out of a game. How's he going to respond? You just you don't know a lot of this stuff. Is Art Sikowski going to be better in mid-October, when he faces some of these teams, you know, than he is now. There's so many variables that to to put the season on a game at Kansas in the middle of September just doesn't make much sense to me.
0: Just just a comment. Did you, which doesn't directly relate to Rutgers or to um, Kansas, but did you watch the Green Bay game the other day against Chicago? Uh, yeah, yeah. I and so so um, Rodgers is carted off the field and basically comes back to second half and pulls out. That's what I'm hoping Sikowski will do. I'm hoping that – I understand it's asking a hell of a lot. I get that. But as a long-suffering Rutgers fan, and there are a lot of us out there. There's just a lot of us. Some have given up. I'll never give up. But 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 I think the fact is, is you know, the other guy was mentioning uh, from uh, Rock Talk, was mentioning that uh, Puka Williams runs a four two seven. I was wondering in my own head, why don't we just recruit the fastest guys out there? We did at one point. We had Miles Shuler for a while. I guess he really didn't do much in terms of uh, getting open, or we didn't, we didn't get him open. I don't know what the issue was. But we need to find guys that can run. Um, Carlin mentioned it the other day. He said something like there was something like, I don't know what it was, seven or ten guys, from Ohio State who could run 20 miles an hour down the field. Rutgers had one. Yeah, I to
3: mean, you know, look, if, if it was all speed, Ronaldo and Nehemiah would have been an unbelievable receiver when he was with the 49ers. I mean, people would be paying how, how many millions of dollars for, you know, St. Bolt to be at That straight line speed doesn't mean much because everybody at the elite levels is fast. It, it's not straight line speed. Miles Shuler's issue was he couldn't catch the ball. He kept dropping the ball. Um, so it didn't matter how fast he was. If you can't catch, you can't catch. They asked him to play cornerback. He didn't really want to play cornerback there, so he went to Northwestern. They used him a lot on jet sweeps and in the return game. But if a kid from Kansas is running a 4.27 and he's that good, i I got to believe, you know, first of all, a 4.27. 2 I, I mean, I, I want to see what his numbers are at the combine um, when he gets there. But, I mean, it, it's more than speed. You, you all the great teams have incredible speed to where you can't run wide on them, you can't play wide on them, um, but you also better know how to play football. And, And if you're talking about defense and you're talking about speed, can you open up your hips and play cornerback and change direction? And if you're playing receiver, Straight line speed is great, but how do you accelerate out of the break? How do you deal with the jam at the line of scrimmage? Are you physical? Do you understand technique? Can you track a ball? Are you worried about getting crushed over the middle? What about when you're going down the sideline and here comes the safety help? It, it, speed is only the beginning of it, and you have to have it. And when you start comparing Ohio State, you know, Rutgers may have one guy who can run 20 miles an hour, and that's you know, whatever, however many Ohio State has. But then I want to know how many Purdue has, how many Illinois has, how many Wisconsin has, how many Nebraska has, how many Iowa State. Has. That's what I want to know. Is, Rut- is the one on Rutgers the same as everybody else, or is it markedly lower than everybody else?
1: Well, I think you're starting to now get into the uh, the question of of recruiting and and numbers, and you know, I look at back to where we talked about uh, you know, towards the end of Shiano's, uh, tenure here, uh, and, and the kind of quality of players that that Rutgers were starting to get and cracking, uh, you know, you look at the New Jersey top 15 players and where Rutgers is right now and, uh, how few of those that they're pulling in, uh, and where they were at the end. And, and there's no, you know, people like to talk on the sites about, you know, you know, stars and, 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 and of course there's plenty of two stars, three star guys that come into the NFL. But um, when you look at at these schools and and you have a litany of four star players who are super athletes that run that kind of speed and are big, uh, you know, it's a probability game, right? So uh, as Rutgers increases, it's recruiting those kind of players um, where you're saying there's not going to be just one, there's going to be two, there's going to be three, and then you start to be able to compete. And, and that's where uh, you know they need to get in terms of um, keeping these guys home.
3: Yeah, no, the probability is is right on the money. That, I mean, a friend of mine, a long time ago, um, when the recruiting business, you know, from what we do, was just starting out, I would be talking with him. And he said, "Look, if you if you're going to sit here and say that it's a hundred percent, then that's inaccurate. But you oh, use it man. as a compass and." the schools that get the four and five stars are going to start off with more talent. It still comes down to how do you develop that talent. Can you, can you coach that talent? And, you know, you, you can talk all you want about recruiting, and, and that's a huge part of it. But I, I just had this discussion with the coach today. Um, you know, look at how much a school like Ohio State spends on recruiting, spends on their assistants who, you know, they got Larry Johnson from Penn State. Larry Johnson, the D-line coach, was considered one of the great D-line coaches. And Ohio State went and paid him a bundle of money. Then they go and take a, you know, everybody at Rutgers knows Greg Schiano. He's not a defensive coordinator at Ohio State, making a ton of money. And so when you're willing to give contracts like that to assistant coaches, Yeah, they're proven coaches who are doing it at a high level. It all feeds each other. Um, And it's not to say the Rutgers coaches are good or bad. That's not what it is. It's just saying the commitment from some other schools is markedly higher. You know, it's markedly higher at Alabama and Clemson and Georgia and Ohio State and USC than it is at a lot of other schools. And that's something that a lot of people don't take into account.
1: It's a great point. Uh, you look at Alabama, that has uh, consultants that, you know, they they don't even recruit. Uh, they're um, out there talking to coaches and smoozing, and you know that's what. Oh you know, no, Alabama they recruit.
3: Recruits, I mean, know. they they recruit yeah, they hard. They don't officially.
1: Yes, yeah, so, right. Cause, um, but you know, it's 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 a whole other ball game, right? It's a whole other ball game when you're talking about the big schools. But you know, Rutgers has to focus um, on on getting back to where it was and, and in state, uh, you know um, you followed this well and, you know, had a discussion on, on the, um, on the board that you are on that, you know, is, it's a huge discussion between keeping the players uh, in Jersey at home. uh, And it's also a lot of things that go into that, whether kids just want to get away, they want to get out. uh, The discussion about publics and privates and, Uh, Where do you see Rutgers right now with the next class, with that 2019-2020 group of kids? Are are people starting to pay attention or starting to be more open to it?
3: Um, You know, I I think they want to see progress this year. They're always open to it just from the standpoint of Rutgers is usually one of the first schools to recruit them. In most cases, Rutgers is the first school to offer them. uh, So they want to pay attention to it. But, they want to see progress, first of all, on the field. And everybody says, well, that means they have to get to a bowl game. No, they want to see progress. Um, you can play better and still have the same record, but they want to, you know, I, I talk to receivers who say, well, you know, I watch Art Sikowski. He looks good. I can see him being the future. Well, the pro- I should say the problem, but one of the things facing Rutgers now is they have a lot of young receivers, so you can't just go out in every class decide I'm gonna take five receivers because then you don't have enough scholarships for the other positions. So you're looking at this year where well, they'll take one, two receivers, you know, I see two at most. And so and that's why I say it's always a slow build, but yeah, they're paying attention, they get the kids on campus, and so now it's a matter of making that next step and, and whatever that next step is gonna be, if they play better and, and Chris Ash can say, see we're not where we want to be yet but you can see my vision come into fruition then that helps but there's no magic elixir that's going to make all of a sudden some kid who has a choice between Michigan, Stanford and Alabama say well I'm going to go to Rutgers. That's not how it works. I mean you know, everybody talks about when Darius Hamilton went to Rutgers well his dad wanted him at Rutgers and it was important for him to stay close to home you have to just find that kid and and you have to have them believe. But again, now you're, you're talking about kids and their parents who when they, when these kids really started paying attention to recruiting and what was going on. And and a lot of them knew what was going to happen, you know, with the recruitment, you were dealing with six kids getting kicked off the team for violent crime in Kyle floods last year. And that stuff, when you're when you don't have the best perception to begin with, and stuff like that happens. Now you have parents and high school coaches saying, "Well, do I want my kids going into that element?" And so that's what you continually battle, and and that's what they're working to get around. Just things like that. Um, it, it's not easy. People want it to happen quickly. It did not happen quickly for Greg Schiano. He was here for what a, more than a decade and it wasn't until the last few classes where I remember talking to kids where they started getting mad when Rutgers didn't offer them. Right now, here's what happens with a Rutgers offer. It's either the first one a kid gets and the coach says, gee, that's going to open up a lot more opportunities for him. I can't wait to see how many more offers we can get him from this. Or they offer him after he's been offered, and the coach says, well, geez, where you been? Why why are you waiting so late to offer them? So that's what they're fighting with right now.
0: One of the things you just mentioned is just this may sound defensive. I hope it doesn't come across that way. But it's it's interesting the way you described the way the recruits are looking at Rutgers. And I do get it. I, I, I understand what you're saying. It kind of hurts, though, as a fan. If we offer first. We're sort of like, uh, yeah, come back and see me later. Uh, you're my home state, but um, I got to go. And if you offer last, I uh, wish you would have been here just, you know, five minutes earlier, and and you would have been in the door. So the question, the question I'm really getting to is to so take a look at some of the other schools. And I am bringing up, um, you mentioned the issue with Kyle, with, with floods, so I think it's fair to bring up what what about Penn State and 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 that whole era with Paterno which is something I think that is just, you know, let's just leave it at this. It'll never go away, not, if, not as long as you have a memory. What about Michigan State with, with uh, their, their, their uh, problems? What about Ohio State with Urban Meyer still on suspension, theoretically, yet they overcome these things? Rutgers has got, Rutgers has got so many obstacles to overcome. None the, none, nonetheless, We've overcome some things, such as the Grunegian years, where where basically he couldn't even see the opportunities, I believe. I'm sure he he meant well, but we never could really see the the big picture. And as a result, we didn't get in until the very end. We were in the Eastern Eight, remember that, in the 70s.
3: I remember that, and I remember Gruninger had a chance to go into the Big East and decided not to. I know. And, uh, That's my point. You know, it, it's the same thing. I believe Holy Cross had a chance too, and they decided not to. Yeah, I mean, look, so, so what are you talking about here? You're talking about, you know, how did Penn State rebound? How does Michigan State, you know, what Ohio State? Well, a couple things. You know, th- those programs have tremendous traditions, and, um, you know, in some instances it comes down to, They've produced, they've won. But what it really comes down to is they have administrations that back athletics. That's what it comes down to. And if you're going to sit here and tell me that the Rutgers Board of Governors and President Barchi are these huge fans of athletics, they have no idea what it takes to be successful at a high level in athletics. I shouldn't say that. They may have an idea, they're just not – Interested in pushing that idea forward? I mean, you, you go look. They're in the Big Ten. I mean, you know, you look around. Forget football and basketball. Go look at Purdue's baseball stadium. Go, go look at Purdue. Whoever you know, if you're out there listening, Google Purdue's baseball stadium and take a look at that. They have an administration that backs athletics.
0: Well, they are apparently getting it because because I think there's no data behind it from my standpoint. But essentially, when you graduate, which I have many, many years ago, what do I really care about what they're doing in psychology or economics or really any of the other areas? I'm glad we have a good school. I'm glad we've, we've climbed the ranks. We apparently jumped 13 ranks or 13 spots in the U.S. news and report. When I was at Rutgers way back in the um, – Late 60s, we were a top 40 school. We were under top 40. Now we're, we're happy that we're, we're tied for 59th. So, you know, you're bringing up a good point, which has to do with the Board of Governors and, and the President, and uh, I don't know either one, and I can't speak for them. But I think there's a correlation between winning programs, perception, buzz, and getting and, and getting more applications than you had before and getting top-quality uh, students. I'm not saying we're no, not getting can- good
3: qual- Lane Kiffin had a great comment a few weeks ago talking about how much success he had down in his first year um, down in Florida. And he talked about how, you know, applications, and I think he said went up 40% at the school. And when your applications go up, you would think that it also means the talent that you're bringing in and, and the you know, the intellectual ring are bringing the test scores rise and everything rises. So, you know, it's funny. You hear so much about, sacrifice, well, if we're going to go really all in in athletics, well, that's going to hurt us academically. I mean, yeah, it's really hurt Stanford a ton and Michigan a ton and Notre Dame a right. ton and Ohio State a ton. I mean, yeah, it really kills right. them. I mean, that, that's what's so ridiculous. And then you go back to the Board of Governors, and let's be honest, I mean – you the Julie Herman fiasco that was just a complete I mean, it, it, such an embarrassment, how long did it take for them to oust her? Because it, it was just they don't want to do it. it. It's just too much work for them, I guess, or they don't care about what, whatever it is. I mean, when you have leadership like that and how they look at athletics, what do you expect?
1: Well, what does well, Rutgers need to do in terms of, of the perception? Because we talk about this perception. Um, and, you know, it's good that you bring up the uh, U.S. news and report because it, it's not just uh, an athletic thing. It's also a, you know, I don't want to go to state U. And we're probably a little bit disappointed, as you mentioned, where Rutgers many years ago, um, I think they were in the late Probably in around the 30s, ranked or in the 40s at some point, even in, in the 90s. We were, in the, back we're, in, the we're 90s. in the 40s when, when right. I when I was the,
0: when I was there in the in the late 60s. We were in less than 50, like 48th or something. I don't know, but it was so you, it was always You a now have
1: you now have schools like Miami uh, University oh. of Florida that are ranked higher, um, and and then you even see people who prefer students that would prefer to go to Rutgers is still ranked higher than Penn State, still ranked higher than, say, Delaware. And, uh, you know, I see it. You see that kids would just rather go out to those programs, to Maryland, than go to State U. And it's it's the same thing when it comes to football. Um, It's, you know, you mentioned how you 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 don't want to be offended when players say, well, you know, I'll wait for my other offer, but it's almost like you're validated when you get that offer from another program. And it seems like some of the kids just go because it's perceived to be better to be going to another one of the programs. And, and the biggest point I want to make is not, we're not going to beat Ohio state or Michigan for players. We, we never did and never, you know, what, and probably never will, but you shouldn't be losing players to Pittsburgh or to North Carolina or, or to Virginia tech even. And, and that's where I think Shiano was having success. Uh, but to Brian's point, that didn't happen immediately, but it was happening at the end of his tenure and, and it was happening, you know, with the Kenny Brits or, or you know, some of the other type of players that, that could have gone to those schools.
3: Yeah. It, it happened late down the line. I mean, you know, he took over a program that was a mess and Chris Ash took over a program that was a mess um, and, you know, when Greg took it over, it was, you know, your battle of Virginia Tech in Miami in the conference in West Virginia with the Powers. And so they had some really good teams back in those Big East days. But it takes time. And, again, it's a slow build. Everybody wants this to happen right away. And here's the other thing. It's Chris Ash's third year at Rutgers. It's his third year as a head coach. You know, it's. People want him to come in and, and make all the right moves, and, and you know, it's hard putting together your first staff. And one of the things I give him a ton of credit for is he's made several changes in, in how he was going to do things, and you know, just he, he saw what the path was, and he'll make you know alterations where need be. And you know, people just want to, well, geez, we we have to do this and this and this to be successful. Well, that's not – I mean, just be patient. I always go back to the Frank Beamer situation at Virginia Tech. I remember watching them. It was probably Beamer's sixth or seventh year. It's a night game on ESPN. They're playing Boston College, and they, had, they hadn't they had been to a bowl. And there was talk about Beamer being fired. If he didn't win that year, he was going to get fired. They beat Boston College. Um, Lane Stadium shows how great it can be in a night atmosphere. And then they go to a bowl every year after. And it took time for him to get it going. It takes time. But nobody wants to, you know, take the time anymore to build something. I mean, shoot, go look at what Greg Shiano was in his third year. They'd be calling for him to be fired right now if the climate was how it is, you know, back then. If it's like that now takes time. Nobody wants to be patient. They have a freshman quarterback. They probably have the best quarterback they've had there from a talent perspective since, you know, the 60s or 70s, just from a pure talent standpoint. And now they have somebody (laughs) to build around on offense. They've had nine offensive coordinators in nine years. Part of it because they hired bad people. Part of it because they you know the coaches stayed at Rutgers, and they're like, "Well, we're, you know, we need some more leadership from the university side, because they got or they got better offers, whatever." It takes time, and people don't want to wait anymore.
0: Do you think? Do you think that Art is actually better than Tom Savage was? Because Sa- Savage was a freshman All-American.
2: A well, freshman of
3: elite, All-American, elite that, elite especially 11, at that ain't? point, a freshman All-American. Just tell me how many freshman quarterbacks played that year. So you're probably choosing from about five guys.
0: I do remember. Well, I'm, I'm. You're talking to me right now. I'm in Oregon. I split time between here in California, and my best friend uh, in California is a USC fan. I don't remember the name of the quarterback. You might know, but it was one of the USC quarterbacks. I can't remember it. Probably was the guy that uh, was the main competitor. Um, again, I don't know who it was. Uh, so you're looking at what 2000 and uh, I'm trying to remember 2009, 2010, somewhere in there, it would have been a USC uh, quarterback. My point is, is that you are right. I don't think that we've had a better quarterback maybe since Tom Savage. I think Savage really was the real deal, and that's unfortunate that he didn't get a chance to play out here because I think he wanted to, eventually, and we didn't take him back. And that's a whole other story. I guess the question that Jerry Oh no no is, no
3: I, they would have taken him. They would have taken him back. He elected not to. Um, I got it. it it was his choice to leave. At the end of the day it was his choice to leave and they would have taken him back and he decided not to.
0: No, I meant I meant after he made his uh his uh, journey to um Arizona. Uh, yeah, yeah, they would it, have
3: taken him back. Yes.
0: Okay, I I w I wasn't sure. I thought I thought perhaps there was a stone. But wall but there.
3: the point is the point is, you know, who's more talented? I think Sidkowski's more talented. Now he's gotta develop that talent and show that he's better. Because right now, you know, you can name ten quarterbacks that were better because he's played a game and a half. But when you're talking about talent, pure talent, yeah, there's no. I mean, he's 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 more talented than Savage.
0: We've got to put we've got to put some people like Timmy Brown, if you remember. We have got to put some people like Timmy Brown around uh, Art because I don't know that we have that right now.
3: No, I mean, you know that's, that's, cool. that's the one thing Rutgers is missing. You don't you don't have that. You don't have the guy who can take that, you know, seven yard slant and go eighty yards like he did at UConn. You, that yep. guy is yep. not on the roster right now and that's a big thing that they gotta figure out. I mean, the the only true legit playmaker who can who can do things in tight spaces is Raheem Blackshear. Bo Melton can stretch the field, but he's not a guy that's gonna make two people miss in tight space, and then go 20 yards. Blackshear has some of that ability, but you need more than one.
0: Who, who else? Who, going back to the question then, what do you see for the, the remainder of 2019 and 20? What players, maybe not individually, but what's the buzz? Is there any buzz for Rutgers? Is there any opportunity for us to get some of these top 10 or top 15 New Jersey talent and some of the talent that we used to get from Florida? Or is it strictly what we're going to produce on the field? If it's uh, I, I, acts, think,
3: I think some of what you do on the field will depend on what you get. Um, you know, listen, everybody wants to know why Rutgers doesn't recruit Florida. If, if you go back and look, Shiano pulled out of Florida for the most part late in his career because um, it's not very easy to recruit down there. And this staff doesn't have a ton of connections down there, and everybody can sit there and go, well, geez, Rutgers did so well down there. I I think they did okay. I don't think Florida was a panacea for everything. The reason they recruited Florida so hard is because Shiano knew everybody down there because he he was the Miami defensive coordinator. So all the coaches knew him, so there was the built-in advantage. It's why Rutgers right now is trying to spend time in Ohio and maybe Michigan because they have the built-in relationships there, and it's why they're spending more time in Maryland, because they have assistance there. It's not a go-recruit. Florida is a really difficult place to recruit. First of all, every school in the country seems to recruit down there. The joke in Florida is, you know, especially in the fall or before season, if a kid commits to you, it just means he's interested. Um, it's a it's a really volatile place to recruit now there's some great talent there but the elite talent is going to miami florida state florida bama georgia stuff like that so you're getting kids you know for every kid rutgers got out of florida that played well i'm sure you can find one or two that didn't pan out um you know and and so everybody says we'll go to florida well you know, if Chris Ash was the defensive coordinator down in Florida for two years, it'd be a lot easier because he'd know everybody. The idea is you find where you can, you find where you have good relationships, where you trust the coaches, where they have good players, and you recruit them. Because Ohio State does pretty well, and I don't think their roster is filled with Florida kids. You just find places where you can recruit, and you bring that talent to campus. And then it's your job to, you know, win that recruiting battle. And we mentioned before, and it was right on, it's not, you know, whether you lose a battle to Penn State or Michigan or Ohio State or Notre Dame, okay, you lose those. It's the ones you lose to Syracuse or to Pittsburgh or to Maryland, and in some instances, depending on the kid, to Boston College, those are the ones that hurt.
1: Right, no those are the guys – so, Ash has to do two things. He has to keep those players, and then he's got to coach up. He's got to coach up. You know, he's a defensive guy, defensive back background, so he's going to have to coach up the guys that he has and and, and go for there, really. that's That's got to be the formula. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think, work. you know,
3: with it, he's got to have good assistants. I mean, head coach doesn't get to coach much. It doesn't matter what his – they don't get to coach a ton. Now, he's got his – fingerprints on the defense and you see that especially with some of the schemes they come up with but you know it's it's developing the kids and it's 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 being patient like you know you go into the season and you're sitting there and you're wondering defensively who are they going to get who can really pressure the quarterback do, do they have anybody who can well now the more number seven He's a kid that you watch now, and it's been a few years, and now he's developing. You're like, wait a minute, this kid can play. He can get up the field. He's got, you know, uses his hands well, good change of direction, around the play a lot. And so that's what you're looking for. You're you're looking for kids to develop. But then you also have to remember the first recruiting class of Chris Ash was, you know, however you want to put it, it it just – you're trying to patch it together. He doesn't have a staff in place yet. He's trying just to fill it, and hold on to commitments. So you're looking at kids. When you're talking about just his kids, they're freshmen, sophomores, or redshirt freshmen for the most part. It takes time. It it just, it, and people don't want to hear it, but it takes time.
1: Well, I, we can, um, we can probably have this conversation um, all night. So, um, I appreciate you coming on with this, but uh, let's just, you know, really quickly, I guess um, for this week, um, you know, you obviously have fouls and, and just in terms of anyone listening for the game um, injury wise, uh, I know, you know, obviously with was Sikowski was the big thing. Um, are there any major injuries, um, anybody coming back? Um, and what's the latest on um, bless Austin?
3: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, from everybody I talk to, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to see Bless anytime soon. We'll see what happens with it. Um, you never know with that stuff, but I don't. I don't get the sense I'm going to see him on the field. Uh, it's funny. I'm going into uh, New York, Brooklyn to go scout some games this coming weekend. So I was on the phone with a bunch of New York people um, early this week, just setting things up, and they all talked about how they thought, you know, you know, they're not. They'll be surprised if Bless is on the field this week or the next few. Um, You know, Tariq Cole looked like he was a little banged up the way he was trying to move laterally against Ohio State. Part of that's also having Joey Bosa on you, you know, trying to block him. But, yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is Sitkowski. And if he's out there early in the week throwing the ball, and from what I've heard, you know, it was a scare, but it wasn't anything major to you want to play, and, and everybody else, you're going to have some nicks and bangs and everything, but the big thing is as long as Kowski can get the ball down the field, um, you should play him. Now you better figure out a way to protect him because you can talk all you want about Ohio State, but he took way too many hits against Texas State. So they mm-hmm. have to figure something out up top, you know, in front blocking to protect him against Kansas because you know Kansas is going to come after him.
1: Well, uh, it'll be you know we'll we'll have a lot to talk about next week um, either way. So uh, you know, hopefully it's not on the negative side. But uh, if, it, if they get the W, will be a nice win. And any any type of uh, power five win is is a big win. And moving forward towards um, the Buffalo game afterwards. So uh, well, welcome. Uh, appreciate you coming on. And uh we we'll definitely gotta do this again, especially on the recruiting side of things.
3: Hey man, thanks for having me on guys. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks. All right. Thanks, Laura. All right. So, nearing uh getting ready to wrap up uh another edition. A good one, another good one. Uh, uh guys like that we can just chat all day about it. It it's just good stuff, really good stuff. I appreciate him coming on and um Rutgers and, and, and New Jersey and everything is so very complex and uh, building back up. And I think that's the one thing about, you know, we talk about the patience um, because Rutgers and, and some, you know, did have some success. I mean, you look at the nine out of 10 year bowls, um, you know, obviously what happened in 2006. I, and I think, it, it, it's there's a little bit less patience, um, and then also it's very difficult being in this conference when you have so many of these, uh, you know, one-sided type of games. Um, you know, there's there's four or five difficult games every year, so it does make it tough. But uh, so, Mo, before we wrap up this, are, are we going to do another edition of predictions for the show?
0: Absolutely.
1: I'll let you uh I'll let you go. Well we're both one and uh well I guess we're both technically two and oh, right? Um maybe we missed have the score. I don't think we score. can count
0: last week at all. I in fact I'd like to have that game invalidated.
1: <laughs> I, I think we should actually start over because, like I said, it's, right. both games are really not indicative. Or you know, it's. it's I think for now on, we're kind of counting. You know, we'll start. We'll start scratch for the next. What we uh, do is
0: every time, every time we get a, 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 an accurate prediction, we should keep it, and if we get an inaccurate <laughs> prediction, we should throw it out and start all over again.
1: Well, maybe we'll find a way to weigh the scoring in, in the, in the, or the point differential. So, so I'll, I'll let you go first uh, this week with your uh, prediction for our uh, uh, game of Kansas.
0: I think that there's going to be an emotional factor, and I think the emotional factor is that Art took some pretty brutal hits, not only in, in Texas, but certainly that hit with uh, what, what appeared to be a season. And to me, I thought his season was over. I thought we were looking at Geo and Lewis, and that's about it. I don't. I'm not saying we shouldn't use those guys situationally, but I think having Art come back to the field, I would hope that the O line that we use some more protection. Bottom line is, I would hope to a man every single one of them remembers the song "Nobody Ever Died for Dear Old Rutgers." Looks at Art and realizes this kid, this kid almost did several times, and I hope that that's the emotional fact factor that will give us over the hump so i'm looking at blackshear i'm looking at pacheco i'm looking at hillman i'm looking at um perhaps situationally using lewis or geo not necessarily for trick plays but for where we are on the field and hopefully getting getting art into the groove not getting happy feet so I'm looking, I think, overall at something like 27 for Rutgers, and I would say like 21 for uh, for Kansas. I'm going 27, 21.
1: Well, I'll say, I'll say, um, I'm kind of thinking of a, of a similar type of score, um, but more in, in the range of let's say 20, 16. Um, with Rutgers being in control, uh, I don't think we're going to see Geal or or, or, uh, or Lewis. I, I really don't see the point of, of, of playing, you know, either one. If, if Sikowski could play, um, uh, Geal is not a better passer at all, uh, and um, you know, him running a rollout is not really worth uh, uh, you know what Sikowski can do in terms of spread spreading the field now there's a couple of things to talk about with Sikowski is that, um, you know, he wasn't very sharp before the injury. Uh, and, um, you know, so I think there's a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, we have to temper our expectations. here. And I think McNulty is going to coach around that. Uh, I think we're going to see more tight end uh, involvement again. Um, and as you said, it's going to be a heavy doses of, of Blackshear Hillman and, uh, Pacheco, and uh, you're going to uh, try to limit the mistakes, and uh, you know they'll have to bottle up um, uh, this running back, and and they do William. have some shifty receivers, so it's it's going to be more of the kind of Illinois Indiana games uh, or Illinois Maryland type of game that we saw last year, but I think Rutgers will be in control in the fourth quarter.
0: Well, uh, just a quick question: Is Avery or Avery and Hester back? And available this week?
1: I believe we H- Hust- uh, um I believe Hester is. Um I don't know about Avery. Um uh, I just haven't yeah, you know, it, it seems with college is just it's, just not as open with that and it's kind of difficult to know. Um I do you know, I don't wanna echo a negative sentiment, but I, I do feel uh unfortunate about Austin as well and um I noticed at the day of the game, the injury, when he was injured, it was just the way he walked off the field. Uh, and, and I don't know, just not to, you know, take things. It was just, you, you got that Grant feeling where it's just, uh, you know, yeah. these guys are athletes and, and they know what they know. And it just, you know, just, just the aura around it seemed like, uh, uh, you know, you may not, you know, you know, will see him for a while, as they say. So Yet- that would be a shame.
0: Yet, and you know, looking at a at a positive, take a look at Grant, who I think almost I don't know to a man, all of us probably looked at it, and his his combines really didn't pop, and uh, you know his ankle was broken. I mean, good God, he went through, uh, you know, just five years, and then has a broken ankle. I mean, in, in a play that looks like he was going to score, and he's he made he made the Ravens and had a fifty-one yard uh, return. Um, he made it as an unsigned free agent. That's pretty darn good. It's pretty yep. darn good. So I mean, um, if you I'm mean, remember... hoping that Buss will, Bus will come back, but in the meantime we're going to have to tighten up that defense. And uh, they they basically have to play lockdown. I, I think that the defense will, will help the offense, but we've got to have an offense that can really put some points on the board. So we've got to at least put up, I would say, two to three TDs.
1: Well, this is college. Definitive. In college football, you got to score touchdowns. You, you know that that's 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 it. But well, guys, listen, appreciate um you know everyone listening and and all another good show and thanks to our guests um, for coming on and uh, we'll do this again in a week and thanks again.
0: bye now.